Welcome to Hill Country Bible Church and those joining us at Lakeline, at Steiner Ranch and online. Uh, we're excited to have you here. And for those in Leander, a special shout out to you. This is the one year anniversary of us relaunching after COVID. And so we're so excited. We're excited about how God is moving in our lives and in our church. And we started something last week called a tech detox, and the reports are starting to come in. What I'm hearing from so many of you is that this has been challenging, enlightening, and even for some of you, liberating as you've taken stock of what you actually do in your normal practice and how that's affecting you and what it looks like to step away from this. So some of the people that took it seriously took it really seriously, like J.D., one of our children in our children's ministry came home with a packet, and he decided that the no-tech zone was not enough. He was going to make his own. And so he's got no phones or tablets, no PlayStation, no Roku, no computer zone. But then he added, no lamps, no lights, or light switches. <laughs> Just we're going to be in the dark Okay, during this time, so he took it a little bit further, especially when his dad told me that he forbade his dad from watching the Braves. Whoa, big deal. One of the students, he sent uh, a message to one of our student pastors, and uh, sorry about that, sent a message to one of our student pastors. And he, he took two screenshots. He took the screenshot of last week where he averaged 15 hours a day of screen time with his high on Thursday of a week ago being 17 hours, eight of those on TikTok. Well, he took the challenge seriously on Sunday, and he took a screenshot of his Monday, and he was under three hours. So he is part of the 12%. He's part of the 12% of us that stay under three hours because 88% of Americans report that they are three hours or more. 48% of that group report that they are five to six hours a day. And 18% are over six hours a day. So some of you are thinking, how can anybody spend 17 hours a day on this? Well, you might be thinking, how can anybody spend five or six? And then you check and find out it might be you. It might be you. So in, in talking with people this week, I, I found that some people had a really tough experience. One dad told me, uh, he made the comment that um, it's like World War III at our house. We took away all the devices from our kids, and they have gone crazy. Like a major rebellion has taken place at home. Other people have reported that they actually have physiologically felt the withdrawal of an addiction. Like physically, they feel it. Some of you felt weird in quiet moments and you wondered what that is. That is the addictive nature of the devices and the dopamine that they produce when you engage with those things. That's what's taking place. You felt detox because... Some of this is toxic to us, and some of you reported how good the experience was. Um, CJ uh, sent me a note, and here's what he said. He said, 
All social gone, haven't watched TV once this week, down to an hour a day of screen time. And then he said, sleeping much better, emotionally more consistent, and more excited and eager to spend time with Jesus. I mean, what a great praise. The great praise. And so, we made a start, but a start is just a start. The question now is, is what boundaries will we put in life to ensure that we and our children are moving in a positive direction and limiting technology that actually can consume our time and consume our very souls if we're not careful with it. And so we're in a series called Reboot. It's just two weeks. This is the second week. And the challenge is to take charge of your tech habits. Now, for those of you who weren't here last week, as we unpacked the message last week, we took a look at the Tower of Babel and how technology at times enables stuff to happen that when we misuse it or do the wrong thing with it, it can really be damaging. And we laid out a bunch of information clinical information to let you know what's actually going on, particularly in a child's undeveloped brain. And so today, as we move on to the second part of the series, we talk about boundaries. Um, I'm kind of going to assume that you know most of that. I'm going to give you a little bit of it, but I really strongly encourage you to go back and listen to last week because doctors, counselors, educators, and even the government is telling us this is dangerous technology, this is damaging technology. Digital engagement with technology does something in the brain. There is an actual addictive cycle, and it damages particularly an undeveloped brain, and we are not paying attention to it. So today, we're going to move on to the second part of our series where we're going to start talking about boundaries. Like, what do you put in place to be able to manage your life in a way that you live it the way God's called you to live your life? And there's nobody better to look at than Jesus. Because Jesus himself prioritized setting boundaries in his life. You say, Jesus had to do that? He absolutely did. And so, if you grab your Bibles and open them to Luke chapter 4, that's where we're going to start today, uh, or grab your screen, you have permission, if you've got a Bible app on there, to open that one and, and look at it, and uh, we're, we're going to be in Luke chapter 4. And so, as you're turning there, let me pick up where we are in the story. So, Jesus started his three-year ministry with the baptism of John, and then immediately he was tempted by Satan. And then the next thing is he went to his hometown where he proclaimed the gospel there and they ran him out of town. And so now we're early in Jesus' ministry and he travels to the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, to a city called Capernaum there on the sea. And there he has a ministry in the temple. He preaches in the temple and the people are amazed at his teaching. And then he goes into a more personal setting, into a home. And here's where we pick up in Luke chapter 4, verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. That's Peter. Now Simon, Simon's mother-in-law, was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her, and she got up at once and began to wait on them. So profound teaching, but now he's doing powerful miracles, and this is not simply a parlor trick because she is down with a fever and now she's up 
engaging with them, and that all takes place with the touch of Jesus' hand. Well, you can imagine what happens. The word gets out immediately. Now, I've been to the, the ruins of the city of Capernaum. Um, I've actually been to Peter's mother-in-law's house. It's right there in the ruins of the city. In fact, all those of you who are going to Israel with me, we're going to be right there. We're going to look at this. You're going to see it all. Uh, right where this has actually happened. So historically, we know the spot where it took place. And when you look around the village, all the houses are very close to each other. And so the word begins to spread. And it says, when the sun was setting. So this is the beginning of the evening. The people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying hands on each one, he healed them. So people start bringing everybody and Jesus takes personal time, one by one by one, interacting with each person. And that interaction is going to take him deep into the night. He also did something else in verse 41. Moreover, demons came out of many people, shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. Now, at this point early in this ministry, people didn't know what to make of him, but the demons knew exactly who he was, that this is the Messiah sent from God. Now, all of that sounds like Jesus' normal ministry, but then Luke includes what Jesus does next. And here's where we see how practical Jesus lived his life. In verse 42, what we don't necessarily expect is this, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them, but he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I came. That is why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogue of Judea. So in this passage, we actually see that Jesus establishes four life boundaries. The first boundary is the time priority boundary. Jesus gets up before everybody else gets up. And you say, well, man, Jesus is up into the night healing people and then he's the first one up in the morning that's hard to do yeah and all of those of you who just started back in football and band and your parents are bringing you up here at five o'clock in the morning five thirty in the morning or to one of our schools around here you know how hard it is to drag yourself out of bed but for something important you will and for jesus the most important thing in his life and in his day was to get alone with God, was to be with his Father. And that's what Jesus did. In fact, as we read through all the Gospels, we find a regular practice of Jesus was to be the first one up, out the door, going someplace, and praying. Sometimes he spent the whole night in prayer. He would be talking to his Father. You see what's going on here? Is Jesus is actually setting a boundary that the first part of his day was reserved to connect with God. Is that the first part of your day? Is God the priority of your life where you would put him before any other possible interruption? I don't know about you, but my phone sits right beside my bed. And the first thing I do in the morning is I pick up my phone and I take it with me. And I got to tell you, 
Well, I don't need to tell you because you already know. It's so easy to go, I wonder who's emailed me. I wonder what text messages have come in. I wonder what's happening in the world. I guess I need to catch up with that. I wonder what the temperature is today. Oh, it's 107? That's so weird. It's never that hot. <laughs> Except every day. Right? It's so easy to get distracted from the most important thing. And I want to challenge you like Jesus did. Would you be willing to prioritize your time with God before you get sucked in to the activities of your day? You say, well, I would have to get up early to do that. Again, look at Jesus. That was the most important thing. The second thing that we see as is, is a boundary that Jesus set in place was the boundary of people. So Jesus goes to a solitary place. He doesn't go to a Starbucks, doesn't go to a busy place. He goes to a place where when they start looking for him, they can't find him and they have to search for him to find. Why is he doing that? Because Jesus is taking some time to get away from the noise so that he can center himself, connect with God, and have some downtime to allow his mind to work. Are you one of those people that whenever there's a moment where there is no noise, you create the noise because it's hard to not be quiet? The devices that we carry in our hands are intensely noisy. Everybody in the world is shouting for your attention. And many of us, it's been a long time since we've simply saw, sat and got alone with ourselves. In fact, if you feel uncomfortable when you do that, that's the addictive nature of these devices and what's taking place with this interactive technology. A friend of mine told me this week, he was doing the detox, so when he went to a doctor's appointment, he, he walked in and sat down, and it was a solitary place because everybody else was on their devices, and so there was nobody around to interact with, and so he said it was really hard. Like, he felt like, oh, man, I got, like, I, he stopped himself and sat for a moment and thought, I'm in the doctor's office. This would be a good place to pray, and so he started praying. Now, you can go into the doctor's office potentially facing a diagnosis or an issue, and you can distract your mind from all that, or you can dial in and let God speak to you and talk to him. That's what Jesus did. The third boundary that Jesus established was the boundary of approval. Jesus is doing good work in Capernaum, life-changing work. And the people say, Jesus, don't leave, stay here. You see, Jesus faced the pressure of approval, like people wanting something and going after that aggressively. And that's the reality of our world. There's a feeling that there are things that we need to do and the crowd is expecting us to perform. Social media is all over that, where you feel the need to post because you got to be out there, but you also feel the need to check all of your friends and family posts because if you don't like, somebody's going to be mad at you. And so day after day after day, consuming our time doing that. When I first got on Facebook way back in, in the Stone Ages, 
uh, one of the things I decided to do was say happy birthday to people on their birthday. And so every day I would get up and there would be this list of people and I'd wish them happy birthday. Like, isn't that what a pastor's supposed to do is love people and say happy birthday to them? So I used to do that. And then over time, as my friends got larger, the number got larger, it started to take more time. So I'm sitting here like 50, 10 to 15 minutes every day, all year long, I have to do this. So I sat down and added it up. If I spent 10 minutes every day shooting a thank, happy birthday out to people, 10 minutes every day, that's 60 hours in a year that I'm wishing people happy birthday. Now, some of you would say, well, that's a good use of time. Tell the elders that. <laughs> like my bosses, if I said, yeah, one week out of the year is just dedicated to say happy birthday to people in an online setting where probably half the people never even looked, I could be discipling people. That's two sermons that I could write. I could be spending time with my family, but 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, two hours, two hours, two hours, two hours, and life gets away. Jesus was able to resist the temptation of the expectations and to be able to focus on his final boundary, which was his calling boundary, which that was the reason why Jesus did everything. Jesus said, I was sent into the world to accomplish a mission. That's why I'm here, and I've got to set boundaries to accomplish that. Now think about this. Jesus is fully God. He's fully God. He has the power to do everything, but he chose when he came to earth to limit himself into flesh, to live among the rules of nature that you and I live among. And so Jesus had a certain amount of energy and a certain amount of time, which made, made Jesus had to prioritize. He had to decide what he was going to say yes to and what he was going to say no to. Now, folks, like this is simple, but oftentimes neglected to think about. Like every time you say yes to one thing, you're automatically saying no to other things. And Jesus is saying, if I stay here in Capernaum around the Galilee, I'll never be able to get the message out to all the synagogues in Judea, the southern part of the country. That's where I need to go. I've got to keep moving because I have a mission. And Jesus prioritized his time. So let me ask you, when you're spending your time on TikTok, Twitter, your favorite news app, social media, checking your stocks, posting, playing games, watching Netflix. You fill in the blank of what your digital energy goes into. While you're saying yes to that time, what are you saying no to? You take it a little deeper. What have you already committed to that while you're doing that on your digital technology, you're failing to follow through on the commitments you've made? You say, Tim, for example, what do you mean? Well, one of the commitments some of you made was father. Father. Mother. Friend. 
follower of Jesus. If the five hours that the average person in our congregation is spending on these screens was directed toward the kingdom, we would literally be changing this region for the gospel. Well, Tim, I've got all these friends to keep up with. I know, 2,000 friends on your social media, and yet you can't get anybody to help you move this weekend. <laughs> right? That's the world we live in. At some point in time, coming to grips that we've been given a gift. I am so glad that Jesus prioritized his calling because out of that, he brought salvation to the world so that you could literally be a child of God and be given a masterpiece mission to make a difference in the world. Don't so easily give that away. You've got a calling on your life. And to accomplish that calling, you've got to prioritize and take out the things that are not moving you toward the mission and vision that God's called you to accomplish. Now, in Jesus' case, he had two good options. One was to stay in Capernaum. That would have been good, helping those people. The other one was to finish fulfilling his calling of spreading around and preaching the gospel out there. He faced two good options. But sometimes there are choices in life that are actually not good options. In fact, some of the options that we're faced with in life are actually distracting and potentially even dangerous. And here's what's so amazing. God knows that, and God's actually warned us to be very thoughtful about the choices that we're making. Um, in fact, here's what God has, has told us after Jesus models a life of freedom by establishing boundaries. We also see that God warns us to avoid things that distract and destroy us. So Jesus modeled it, but God also gives us this warning. Now, now last week we looked at the Tower of Babel, and in our message last week we learned that technology, as it, it stands, is, it's not evil inherently, but don't be naive. There is a dark side to technology in the way we can use it. And so because of that, God warns us about the dangers, and, and he warns us in Romans chapter 2, 12, verse 2. Look at what he says. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's the warning. Do not be conformed. The word conformed literally means to be shaped into a mold. To be shaped into a mold. Now, he goes on any longer to the pattern of this world. The mold is not primarily emotional or ideological. The mold is actually the way we do life. In other words, what he's saying is, is there are patterns of life in our culture today that are not of God, they're actually of the world, 
And those things can be distracting and dangerous. And our goal as Christians is not simply to fit in with the shape of what everybody else is doing, but to actually be transformed and follow God. Now, this is a very, very profound statement because we live in culture. And the tendency is to assume that if everybody's doing it, first of all, it must be right. And second of all, it must be safe. It must be right because why would everybody do it if it wasn't the right thing to do? It must be safe because, like, why would everybody cause harm to themselves? That doesn't make sense. And so what is normal oftentimes is just adopted even by followers of Jesus Christ, without even thinking about it or critically evaluating it at all. So let me ask you, how many of you would say in the United States, having and using a smartphone on a daily basis is normal? Like that's just normal. How many middle school kids would say, having a smartphone in middle school is just normal, right? Some of your elbow and mom right now while you're doing that. In fact, I, I talked to a middle schooler this morning. She going into sixth grade. She went into the lunchroom to meet some friends, sat down at the table, and realized it was silent in there. Kids weren't talking, no food fights. They were sitting there. She's looking around, and every single kid was on their phone. She turned to the girl next to her, and she said, who are you texting? And she pointed at the girl across the table. Now, here's what's so sad about that. When you've got sixth grade kids that are not comfortable having a conversation except through a device, what are we doing? What are we doing? That's a big warning flag big warning flag for us to consider. You know, financial guru Dave Ramsey says when it comes to finances in America, normal means broke, right? That's why we just surpassed $1 trillion in the United States of credit card debt carry at 20% interest. Now, does that make any sense? But people are doing it all over the place, why? Because if everybody's doing it, it seems right, and it must be safe. Well, let's test that out a little bit. In 1972, 43% of the population smoked cigarettes. In 1972, did we know that cigarettes caused cancer? We absolutely did. And yet, almost every other person you passed on the street was smoking. Why? Because... It's normal, in spite of the warnings. What we learned after that is that the cigarette companies were putting chemicals in addition to the nicotine into the cigarettes to make them more addictive. Why were they doing that? They were doing that for profit. The more people smoked and the more times you smoked, the more money that came in. And you say, well, that's, that's not good. People shouldn't be doing that stuff, right? Here's what we do know. 
we know that the technology that we're using, these interactive devices, this technology is also addictive. It runs an addictive cycle in the brain of the user. We know that, but you know who else knows that? The developers of this technology know this. In fact, that's the business model. The longer they can keep you engaged, the more money they can make off of you. Now, what's always funny to me is people say, you know, I don't go to church because they're always talking about money. Cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. Do you not realize, like, what? Everybody out there is after your money. And whatever they can do to get you there, that's what it takes. I had a guy write me this week, says he's deeply embedded in the technology world. He says, listen, this is not a, like, they know that they can do technology different than that, but it doesn't work for their business model. And I don't know if you guys have paid attention to the tech titans. How many of them have said, I will never let my kid have this stuff. Never let my kids game. Never let them have social media. Never let them have a smartphone until they graduate from high school. Like, the people that are doing that. So here's the, here's the thing to realize. Oftentimes, normal, it's not safe. And it's not the right thing to do. And when we get trapped into that by just adopting what the world is doing, we conform to the pattern of the world, and God warns us against that. Romans chapter 12, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Folks, I want to be real strong with you. And the reason why I want you to be real strong is because our kids are getting damaged. They're getting damaged. It's happening right now. Now, these are not like God says to do this. These are convictions that either you have or you don't have. So I'm not putting this on you. I'm proposing it to you. Here's the first one. Some of you may be called to boycott this stuff by just not participating anymore. Like, I'm not going to do this anymore because this is not helpful to me or the people in my world, and I will not support something that is actually creating the havoc that this is having in our world. Um, my wife, Cindy, she's one of the most even people and leans to the happy side, and I came home a few months back, and she was just vibrating. I mean, kind of between crying and angry. And I said, hey, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And she unpacked it for me. And I said, like, I'm going to talk about this. I want you to write down what happened. And here's what she wrote. She said, in researching courageous parenting, the impact on, of the impact of screens on kids, I watched a CNN special called Being 13, in which they tracked the social media usage of 213-year-olds, including every single post and all their activities. I was horrified as I was hearing these 13-year-olds discuss their obsession with this alternate reality and participate in what sociologists call social combat, which is 
an intense, rapidly changing fight for packing order using subtle and overt posting tactics where bullies and victims are the same kids switching back and forth on a daily basis. One day, I'm using my social media to go after somebody, and the next day, somebody's coming after me where there's not a bully out there. It's bullying across the board. She said, I was horrified. I kept getting teary-eyed the rest of the night thinking about the Hill Country 13-year-olds that I know and love who might be experiencing the same pain and bondage. Then I discovered from one of my daughters that 30 and 40-year-old women, her friends, are doing the same thing with just a little bit more finesse, but as obsessive and cruel. Some of you know you're in that loop. That was it. I quit. I'm out. I can't be connected to that kind of evil. And she canceled all of her social media accounts. Like that's just one less person participating in this. Some of you may be called to do that. You may say, I'm out. I'm not doing this anymore. Others of you may be called to be a helper. I'm going to say something really strong. In fact, actually, I had some people get up and leave last hour when I said this, so I'm just going to prepare you. If you are an adult who works with kids and you are requiring them to have a smartphone to be able to participate in your activity. You could be contributing to their demise. Here's why. Because parents tell me all the time, you know, I've been trying to hold off, but at school or in children's activities or even the church, Every communication comes through smart technology, and if my kids don't have that, they can't participate. And I would just say, but 10 years ago, we were smart enough to get around that. So I'm just arguing for you to work hard to find an alternative. We've sat down with our student ministry because we've been guilty of this, and we're trying to make sure that every person who doesn't choose to use this kind of technology has a vehicle to do it. And actually, there are dumb phones out there. So those people who feel like, if I don't give my kid the opportunity to call me, if I don't give my kid an opportunity to call me or text me and let me know where there are phones that that's all they do, and the school can communicate to you on a dumb phone too. Your coaches can. But anyway, all I was saying is, is at some point in time, we have to own our own personal responsibility because this is a massive problem. Some of you may say, I'm not responsible for what other parents do with their kids. I just can't take God's command to love my neighbor as myself and not care about somebody else's kids. I just can't do that. I hope you can't either. Here's the third thing that you might be called to do, and that is to be a model, to be the kind of person that sets the kind of boundaries in your life that prioritizes God and people over technology. And in doing that, you're actually showing the world that it doesn't have to be this cultural obsession. 
my prediction is is that 10 years from now, we'll be looking back at the, on this time as we did on cigarettes, and people will be going, what in the world were we thinking? Of course, unless AI comes in and takes over the world and we're all dead, <laughs> right? So that's the challenge. Here's the hope. Here's the hope. Look at this. He says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, when God says be transformed, he's not telling you something that you can't do. If God calls you to it, he will enable you to do it. And so you can literally have a mind transformation where you can step out of the patterns of this world and live above those in a God-honoring life that makes relationships and time and effort and energy and all of that not only useful, but actually the will of God. You can live that out in your life. You won't by being normal but you will by following Jesus. And so that is the challenge before us. Now, I, I want you to know we're here to help. And so today, when you came in, you got your first resource. And if you didn't get it, raise your hand. We've got some people passing them out. Um, we've also got it online for those following us online, but it's the reboot plan. Um, now, if you didn't listen to the message last week, go back and listen to the message, do a week detox, and then you'll see, and then take this reboot plan and work through it. You might want to work through it as an individual, if you're married as a couple, if you have kids as a family, and set some boundaries, set some boundaries that you can live by. Second thing that uh, we have is a packet. This is one per household. And uh, this has all kinds of idea cards in it of things you can do together and individually. And the last one here is what your kids are getting in children's ministry, which is my technology commitment for your kids. Children, do not wait on your parents. This is your brain that's being impacted. This is your life that's being affected. And so take control of that. However, there's, there's room on here, parents, so if your kid says, hey, my pledge is to cut back on Fortnite to five hours a day, um, you can trump that, okay? You're still the parent. You're still the parent, okay? You can, you can trump that. In addition to that, next week we're going to start a sermon series from the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus lays out what life can be like if you adopt his values, his way of life, his attitude. And we're going to walk through the Sermon on the Mount this fall, verse by verse, looking how Jesus told us the best way to live. And what you're going to find is, is the values of the consumer culture, what that's shaping you to become, are totally opposite of what Jesus has done to bring you into a new way of life that brings everything together, the way you were created physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and how you connect with each other and with God, and we're going to unpack that all for you. In addition to that, as a resource, uh, we've got an incredible counseling department um, who are generally booked up, and, and Stacy came to me, our director of counseling, said, listen, offer to the congregation if they're struggling with technology, we'll do overtime, we'll do what it takes, we want to save our kids, we really want to save our kids, so like, 
call our counseling department and, and see when you can get in and talk to somebody because they've, they've, they've been working with kids, they understand this, they know this, and they can help you. Now, I know that there's probably some people in the room that are skeptical and saying, I'm not convinced that this technology is problematic. So I get that, okay? I've done a ton of research on it. I've been working on this for three years. You may not have been. And so I want to offer you a couple resources. Here's the first one. The first one is a book by Jean Twinge. She's a PhD sociologist, and Jean writes this book called iGen, Why Today's Super Connected Kids Are Growing Up Less Rebellious, More Tolerant, Less Happy, and Completely Unprepared for Adulthood. And she will give you the data and the brain science behind what's happening on screens. She's the foremost person in the United States. Now, these are, both these books are secular books. They're not written by Christians. These books are, they may say stuff that is different than what you think, but the research is there. The second book is Reset Your Child's Brain and Meltdowns, Raise Grades, and Boost Social Skills by Reversing the Effects of Electronic Screen Time by Dr. Victoria Dunkley. Dr. Dunkley was working in her profession with kids that were exhibiting learning disabilities and emotional mental problems. Uh, autism, ADD, ADHD, and a number of other mental problems. And she started to work with them on a four-week detox from their screens. And what she found out is, is many of the kids that were presenting these issues, once they were detoxed, and their brain reset, they no longer presented these issues, and you could tell the ones who actually had some kind of an issue that needed to be treated medically from the kids who were just acting out based on their screens. And some of you say, well, like, is that possible? Well, get her book. It's a four-week guide to what you can do with your children to help them break the addiction. Um, I got a email for this week from a woman who uh, did this starting at the beginning of the summer. She writes, um, we took all, away all the tablets and TV games and the change has been incredible. We're never going back. She said, I would have never believed it. At first, without the screens to placate them, they argued with each other and were extra needy and life was difficult. After about a month, they learned to mediate. They learned to play longer and enjoy each other. And now, when it's time to put the baby down for the nap, I tell the boys I need them to just play quietly for two hours. And then she says, and they do. I'm still in shock, she says. I was telling some moms about it, and they think the same way I did. That's not realistic. Well, it's certainly not. It can't happen because normal. Everybody's doing it. It must be good. Babysitting with screens must be good. must be safe. She says, they say, sure, your kids can do it, but mine never would be able to. The three, five, and seven-year-olds have a longer attention span than I do. We drove all the way to New Mexico, and I was the one who was stir-crazy. They did great. Clearly, it's time for me to cut back on my screens, too. They are more creative. They are better with each other. They retain more. They can tell longer stories. It's the best, way better than what we gave up. The good news is that Jesus came. He came for you. 
He gave us life so that you could be forgiven and now become a child of God. In addition to that, he gave you a masterpiece mission designed for you to live a meaningful life that would impact both here and eternity. Don't let anything take that away from you. Think of what life would be like if the screen time in your life began to dim and you could now reopen your eyes to see the world as God intended it to be. Mm -hmm.